Good morning, Evangel. Welcome today. We're glad to see you. Good morning to those of you at home. We welcome you as well. And we would encourage you to stand with us now, to clap as we sing, to uh, enter into this time of worship and praise together. As we come into your presence, we remember every blessing that you poured out so
Good morning. Great to see all of you here. Glad to have you here. You know, one of the challenging parts for me as I'm sitting here in the first part of the worship is always knowing when it's my cue to come up here so I can be on camera at the right time. And I, you may notice some weeks I kind of get that wrong a lot. So, uh, but uh, I was just thinking this morning, I have worked with you for so long that I know your hand gestures and I can see what's going on behind their back, and it's awesome. I, I knew, I knew, I knew, yeah, I knew. So anyway, say hi to each other uh, and be seated. Thank you. You may be seated. Nice to have you here, and each and every week, it's nice to see more and more of you uh, returning. So I want to welcome all of you who are in the building this morning, and I want to welcome all of you who are watching from home or elsewhere, we are glad that you're here with us to join us in the service this morning. And uh, as we are continuing on now, uh, just things are becoming a little more e a little easier for us in attending on Sundays with not having to register. And uh, just want to remind you that uh, within the building, we still are. Uh, there's tape still on every second row because we are still asked to to create some spacing. And also, mass bylaws are still here. Although I'm hearing that maybe by the end of the month that may be lifted. And if that's the case, then the option will be yours. But as of right now, it is. And if you see someone who doesn't have a mask, you have to assume that they have an exemption. And um, and so. Just keep that in mind as well. Those who have an exemption don't have to wear a mask inside. Well, just to remind you, next Sunday is uh, uh, the, the times will be changing and the clock will be springing forward one hour. 
And uh, for some of you, that's good. And for some of you, you may not like the idea of that. But regardless, it's happening next week. So keep that in mind. And uh, that starts for uh, next Sunday in time for our service. So I'll just keep that in mind. Kids, uh, we're going to dismiss our kids in a second. But I just want you to know that we've relocated the children back down into the children's space downstairs. During uh, the COVID pandemic and during a lot of the restrictions, we shifted up to Stewart Hall, but we've now relocated everything back downstairs. So at that, what that means for you, if you're a parent and your child is uh, heading out this morning, that when the service is over, uh, they're not going to be brought to this door. Um, but congratulations, you have now added an exercise regimen back into your uh, COVID recovery. You'll have to now actually go downstairs, uh, past the nursery, down the end of the hall, and your kids will be there, and you can pick your kids up there uh, at the end of the service. So please keep that in mind. Children, you are free to go. Come over here to this door, and your leaders will be there to take you out. That's it for uh, me for now. God bless you. Uh, enjoy the rest of the service, and uh, I'll be back shortly. Thank you. Seeing all of you here and people that I haven't seen for a while because you've chosen to be online, it, I am struck by how much I need you <laughs> and how important it is that family gets together. And this morning as we worship together and later as we uh, celebrate communion, there is nothing that qualifies one of us more than another to be here, to worship, to take communion. There is such a beauty in the fact that we can come into this place full of our mess, full of our mistakes. And there is a love that covers it. There is an invitation that comes to every one of us to press in today. And if you hear a voice in your head that says, it's not for me. I'm not in a right place. I'm not ready. I'm not able to participate. It is not true. This is your family. This is your place. And even if you're new, we're your family. We're your brothers and your sisters. We stand together shoulder to shoulder in this place of love that covers everything. You have an invitation this morning. And it is to press in to the face of our Savior. You have an invitation at the table of communion to, to come and to eat and to drink and to participate in that love and that grace. There is not one person in this room that is disqualified from any of that this morning. So as we lead and as we sing, we encourage you. You are supposed to be here. You are supposed to press into worship. You are supposed to come to the table of remembrance of the grace and the mercy that covers you. The invitation is for all of us.
that is beyond our worth that is beyond our understanding that we did not deserve but in that big deep high wide unending grace we can find our life and we find you and may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering in these praises this morning Jesus, you would be lifted up, that the grace that was purchased for us would have us be able to shout your praise, to sing your praise, and to give you the worship that is due your name. And together we say, Our scripture reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 25 to 31. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and you never and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, back in February, we launched what I intended to be a four-week series for the month of February, and uh, then very early realized we needed five weeks to finish it. So our February four-week series has become a five-week series that's now spilled into today in March, and but today we will be wrapping up and uh, focusing on the final message in the series, Love Beyond Boundaries, based on Jesus' teachings in Luke 15. 
Just for those of you who haven't been on this journey with us, at the start of chapter 15, we're told that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus to hear him teach, and that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained because he welcomed these sinners and even ate with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I am blessed to have an older brother in my life. He's always, always there for me when I need him. He always has my back. If I need something and he has that something, it's mine. If I need help on a project, he's there. We call them projects. We can talk about anything. We can talk about everything. Now, the truth is, if you know me, you know that I actually have eight older brothers. So I'm not going to name the one that I'm talking about because that way no one gets jealous and all the other seven think I'm talking about them. So we won't name that brother this morning. Now, not everyone has an older brother and not everyone has the type of supporting relationship that I have with mine. Today, as we're considering the final and third part of this parable, we'll be looking at the parable of the lost son, but we're focusing specifically on the older brother. The older brother in this story is, he was angry, resentful. He's a jealous older brother. A jealous older brother who struggled with how the father loved and welcomed his younger brother back home. Now, in this parable, the prodigal son represents the sinners and the tax collectors that we see at the beginning of the chapter. The father in this story represents God, and the older brother represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who resented that Jesus had welcomed these sinners and ate with them. Now, throughout this series, we have been reminded that in the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. Now, as I read the second part of this parable, I believe there are three reasons why this older brother was not ready and not willing to receive his younger brother back why the religious leaders wanted to keep these sinners outside of their boundaries. And so I also believe that these are the same reasons that some believers and some churches, obviously not you or us, but out there, sometimes struggle with this issue as well. So let's let's take a look at that, the older brother. First, he lacked understanding. The second part of the story of the prodigal son opens with the younger son returning to the house from the fields. He was working for his father, and this is something that we're told he has done for many years. Now, up until now, this, is, this day is like any other day. He worked hard all day. He's coming home to familiar surroundings, get something to eat, rest, get ready to do it all again tomorrow. But as he approached the house, he realized quickly that something was different on this day. Something different is going on. He could hear music. There was dancing. 
There was a celebration, and he could smell the smoke of the steaks on the grill. At first, he was likely excited. There was a celebration, a feast. Who doesn't get excited for a feast? Upon arriving in the house, he, at the house, he quickly discovered that the celebration was not about him. It was about someone who didn't deserve it. Well, at least as far as he was concerned. And so we're told the older brother became very angry. He became angry. If there was going to be a celebration, if honor was going to be bestowed upon anyone, well, obviously, it should have been him. It should have been him. I mean, he was the faithful son. He was the one who worked hard for his father day in and day out for all those years. He's the one who stuck around. And so in his anger, he defaulted to comparison. He compared the younger brother's sins to his own righteousness. And he went on to list his brother's sins. Just in case the father missed something. Let me, let me point them out for you. Let me, let me name them. And he judged his brother's wrongdoing. In the meantime, well, he missed his own sins. Classic case of speck in someone else's eye and plank in your own. He failed to see his anger. He failed to see his jealousy. He failed to see his pride and his disrespect. He failed to see how resentful he was, that he was unthankful, that he was slanderous, that he lacked humility and he lacked compassion. He didn't see any of that. He lived in his father's house but didn't understand his father's heart. The emphasis of the older brother's relationship with the father was activity-oriented, the things that he did for his father. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were experts in theology. They represented God to the people. They were the spokespersons for God. They were the ones who ministered in the synagogues, but their spirituality was focused on their works, on their spiritual activity, on their, on their own ability for righteousness. And so like the older brother, they too served the father, but they didn't understand the father's heart. Secondly, the older brother lacked concern. There, was, there is a dramatic difference that we see here in the concern level of the father and the concern level of the older brother. As we talked about last week, the father in the story was watching for the prodigal son. And I believe Jesus told it this way to emphasize, you know, the concern and compassion that he had. It was likely his daily routine, the straining of his eyes towards the horizon, believing and hoping and longing and praying that the boy that at one point he saw fade off into the horizon would one day reappear on his return home. And so the questions we don't know is, was he planning just in case? Was he always ready for this moment, believing that it could happen at any time? Was this calf being raised for this special event, or did they just happen to have one? 
Were there item, the items that he asked for? When he said, go get me the robe and the ring and the sandals, were, were these just surplus items that were in, in the house somewhere? Or, or were they put aside and stored in a special place just in case, just in case the son came home? We do know the father's motive was love. That despite the pain and the disappointment that his younger son had caused, and no doubt for any father, this would have been painful and disappointing. The boy was still his son. He still loved him. His heart ached for him. He longed for him to come home. Now, in comparison, we have the older brother. Well, he wasn't standing on the road watching. He was too busy carrying out the duties. In fact, he wasn't even aware that the brother had returned home. As he approached the house, he heard the music, he heard the party going on, but he had to ask, what's, what's all the fuss about? Why, why is there music? Why is there dancing? Why do I smell this delicious barbecue? It seems like everybody else knew but him. He didn't know. The father came out and invited him to come in and to be a part of the celebration, but, but the older, older son said, no, I, I don't want to do that. He refused to do it. And when he referred to his younger brother, he didn't call him his brother. He said this, this son of yours. He has no part of me. He's, he's you know, I, he's yours. He's, he's not mine. He refused to acknowledge that this younger brother was even his brother. His actions and his attitude demonstrated that he really didn't care about his younger brother at all. That's the truth. He didn't care. He would have preferred, he would have preferred that his younger brother had stayed out there somewhere other than here. He wished he had never come home. Now, Jesus often referred in his teachings about the kingdom of God. He often referred to the kingdom of God in these teachings as, as a great banquet. And we referenced that on the first week that in um, in, in, in Luke chapter 14, there's the whole discussion about this great banquet, which leads us into this, this series. This great banquet, and that the kingdom is compared to a big banquet, and that the people who are invited, the people who attend, are the most undeserving, are the ones, the most unlikely. The older brother symbolized the religious leaders who were focused on marginalizing, on separating those that they deemed to be unworthy versus those they deemed to be worthy. In the meantime, the father who symbolized God was welcoming these sinners into the great banquet, into the kingdom, while the righteous, ironically, were standing outside desiring to focus not on the grace and love and generosity of the invitation of the Father, but instead on their own entitlement and their their works, feeling that they deserve to be there while these others didn't, and yet they find themselves on the outside. The Father loves and includes sinners, but the religious leaders, they lack concern. And thirdly, he lacked forgiveness. According to the older brother, his younger brother, the prodigal, 
didn't deserve forgiveness. He didn't deserve it. In his mind, he'd gone too far. He'd done too many wrong things. He'd, he'd crossed the line. There was a boundary. And the prodigal son had crossed the boundary, had crossed the line. And consequently, in the mind of the older brother, the Pharisees, now he's a write-off. He's hopeless. He's not worthy of another chance. The older brother doubted the younger brother's sincerity. If you look closely at the language that he's using here, in the original language it means come and go. Come and go. The younger brother has come home, but in the opinion of the older brother, he can't be trusted. Yes, he's come back now when it's convenient, but he's going to leave again. He'll just come and go, and he'll take advantage of your grace, and he'll take advantage of your love, and he'll abuse it for his own good. That was his opinion. And the older brother's response resulted in not only losing his brother, but also alienating himself from the father. But the father didn't see it that way. He was willing to believe. He was willing to take the risk. He was willing to be humiliated if necessary to love and show grace to his son. The older brother had always been accepted. He had already always been included. But the younger brother, well, they thought he was dead. They thought he was gone, but now he's back and he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. So they have to receive him back. They have to forgive him. They have to restore him to his rightful place. And the truth is the father loves both of his sons. He loves both of his sons and is attempting to extend grace and invitation to both. Jesus was attempting here to help the Pharisees and the teachers of the law see that the grace and the forgiveness of the father in this story towards the prodigal son represented God's grace and God's forgiveness towards these very tax collectors and notorious sinners that they wanted Jesus to ignore, to send away, to keep outside the boundary. But Jesus is trying to help them understand that the heart of the Father does not allow that to happen. There are two areas, once again, this week that I would like to focus on as we, once again, ask ourselves how this parable might apply to us. The first thing is anger. Anger. As you read Luke chapter 15, you see right from the beginning that anger is a prominent theme. The Pharisees and teachers of the law in verses 1 and 2 are angry they're angry that Jesus is welcoming tax collectors and notorious sinners and even eats with them. It is their angry response to that that is the very catalyst for Jesus even telling this series of three parables or stories. It's in response to their anger that Jesus symbolized them as the older brother who is angry 
that the father had welcomed back the sinful brother. Anger and fear, because those two go very well together, were two very prominent means that the religious establishment at this time used to protect their boundaries. Anger and fear. They would use them to protect their boundaries and direct people the way that they had deemed was required to be spiritual. So they used anger and they used fear. Now, what I find interesting is as we read the Gospels, the only times that we see Jesus angry is in response to the religious leaders when they insisted on marginalizing people and setting boundaries that were keeping people out. What made Jesus angry, and this is important, what made Jesus angry was the opposite of what made the religious establishment angry. It was the complete opposite. Now, as someone who has been a part of church environment my whole life, I have to admit the role that anger has played and continues to play in spirituality. I have seen people angry when they're opposed to the direction or response of leadership. I've seen people angry when they want power, but they face resistance. I've seen people angry when they don't get their way. I've seen people angry when they have a difference of opinion. I grew up in a church environment where, and some of you may like this actually, that when a pastor is invited in and was elected in, it was for six years only. And, and then every three years after that, you would vote as a congregation whether you're going to keep them or not. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Like I'd be invited back today as a, remember when I used to pastor here? Right? And so these times would come, and every three years you're, you're voting on a pastor, but, but in those times I saw so many times in my life that it was an opportunity for those who were angry, who were angry at the pastor, who were angry at the leadership, who were angry in the congregation. This was their time to get their pound of flesh. And I saw really good pastors, even later as a presbyter, helping churches with pastoral change, seeing the pain and the hurt in pastors' lives when people within the community of faith use their anger to enforce their will, causing pain to people. Anger is a very common part. I've heard lots of angry preaching in my lifetime. Maybe some of you have too. I hope not. Folks, anger divides congregations. Anger divides families. Anger hinders the mission because we can't focus on the mission when we're focused on our, what makes us angry. Anger destroys and even splits the church. Anger reflects poorly on the kingdom of God. Anger destroys a person's relationship with God. You may not even realize it, but you are so angry that you may not even know that there is nothing left there anymore. Your anger has consumed you. Now, sometimes we 
can justify our anger because within our theology, and I grew up too, we're believing in many ways that God was angry. Like God is angry and God wants to punish you. So if you don't do this, this, and this, he's going to send you right to hell. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up sitting under that kind of preaching. Believing that God was an angry God. We use God's anger sometimes if we believe that, like the Pharisees did, to create fear. And I've seen people come, quote, to Jesus because they were too afraid not to. They didn't know how to say no. They were too scared to say no. Just in my opinion, but I don't think that's how you attend the great banquet. Just putting that out there. And so sometimes we use God's anger like the Pharisees did to create this fear so people will fall in line with our agenda because they had an agenda. And a lot of angry people have an agenda, whether they realize it or not or admit it or not. And so the picture of God that Jesus shows us here is not of an angry father. I mean, I know people who've had angry fathers. I didn't have an angry father. I would run to my father to get away from my angry mother. (laughs) Right? I'd hide behind my dad. But I think she could take both of us. Just putting that out there. The picture that Jesus shows us here is not of an angry father, but of a loving father, a kind father. A forgiving father. A father who puts the best interests of his children ahead of the pain and the suffering that is a part of it. A God who welcomes everyone with open arms. That's the picture that Jesus is painting here. And so as followers of Jesus... We should imitate, Je- imitate Jesus. I, I think that's pretty standard, right? I mean, we sing it to be like Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we should imitate Jesus. Our anger, if we have any, and by the way, I think our, our understanding theologically of what righteous anger means really needs a lot of work. But if we are angry, our anger should be directed towards the boundaries that marginalize people from getting to the Father, and not towards those who are marginalized. Not towards those who are marginalized. When I talk to people in the community and I hear words like, the church hates us, or I see placards that declare that about God and faith, it it just troubles me because that's not the picture that Jesus paints for us here. This is a loving father that we see in this story. Secondly, service. The older brother in our story lived in the father's house, we said, but he didn't understand the father's heart. The older son's relationship with the father was based on serving, not on relationship. The older son I mean, seriously, did not find joy in serving his father. Serving his father was a task. It was negative. It was hard. It was, it was just what you had to do. You did what you had to do. There's no joy here. He was task-oriented. I just do what I'm supposed to do. 
He argued that his service to the Father determined his value to the Father. Don't miss that. His service to the Father determined his value to the Father. In his eyes, that's what he believed. He had worked hard. He had worked hard. He was loyal. He stayed. And so because he worked hard and he was loyal and he stayed, he was entitled to the special treatment. The party should have been for him. Now, I believe that it's easy to fall into the trap like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did. As I've said to you many times, I've walked in the shoes of a Pharisee many times in my journey with Jesus and probably will many times again. But we sometimes, like the Pharisees and the teachers of law, we we fall into the trap of basing our level of spirituality, if you will, if there is such a thing, our acceptance into the kingdom of God on the things that we do for God. Well, I serve in these areas. I do these things. I've been doing them for many years. Or on the time that we devote to doing things for God. Why? Well, I, I, you know, I, man, I do all this. I look around. I'm not seeing other people doing as much as I'm doing. I mean, look what I'm doing. Or on the way that we do things for God with the sacrifice that's involved in it. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. I'm not suggesting that doing for God is not important. That's not at all what I'm saying. In fact, doing is very important. The kingdom of God needs doers. <laughs> There's a lot to be doing, right? And that's why James tells us that faith without works, well, it's dead. It's, it's not enough to have faith and to have a theology. You, you got work to do. There's stuff to do that you live out that faith and you, you live out what you believe. I don't know what we would have done over these past two years, to be honest, if it weren't for those who stepped up and said, you know, we'll serve. While some stepped up and said, I think we'll go somewhere else. Put that out there. They're not watching because well, clearly they're somewhere else, right? Some said, no, we'll step up. We'll go the extra mile. We'll, we're going to do what needs to do. I don't know what we would have done without that. I really don't. But we serve out of our relationship with God. Because of his love, because of our relationship with him, we serve out of that. It flows out of us. It's not a criteria that helps us have a relationship with God. It's not an extra star or badge or sticker beside our name. It just flows out of us. A joyful service of giving ourselves to the kingdom and serving God's community and serving the community around us because we just love the Father so much. And our relationship with him is so great that, that we know his heart and we hear his heartbeat and it pushes us to do what we want to do for him and with him. Folks, if we don't understand the Father, we won't display the heart of the Father in our lives. You can serve and not display the heart of the Father. And the Pharisees were a good example of that. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the more important people become. If you want to sort of, if you will, a standard to kind of gauge, am I close to Jesus? Well, the closer you get to Jesus, the more important people become. 
the closer we get to Jesus, the more open we become to loving everybody. The closer we get to Jesus, the less focused we become on boundaries and anger and our own agenda and our sense of entitlement. And we just love people and we carry out what it looks like to live as those who've been invited to the great banquet. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. In the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. Today we are celebrating communion together and we're gathering around symbolically the table of the Lord today. And we're gathering because he invited us in. He's, he's in, invited us to come and be a part of the great banquet, to be a part of the feast, to be a part of his kingdom. We're gathering because he invited us. And perhaps when we look around, we may wonder, why did he invite that one in? I've got to tell you, there's times I wonder why he invited me. <laughs> but we're gathering because he's broken down the boundaries that kept us out. And he invited us to come in. And that this practice that we fulfill this morning is a reminder of that great feast that because of the body and blood of Jesus, we've been invited to be a part of. We're reminded today of his love and grace that reached beyond the boundary to us. Would you stand with us this morning? Carlene is going to lead us before we celebrate together. Amazing grace, how sweet the song. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was
on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and when he broke it in pieces he said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat together cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood 
do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray this morning. I couldn't help but think earlier this morning that all over the world, but I was specifically thinking about the brothers and sisters in Ukraine this morning, but people all over the world living in the middle of civil war and famine and just oppressive, truly oppressive governments meeting together today. I have friends that have served in the Ukraine through the years, similar to I have, the way I have in Cuba, and are just sharing the little groups of people they know within walking distance, gathering somewhere to worship this morning, to seek God. And I believe it's important for us today to pray for those around the world for peace, God's protection. Today we're praying, continuing to pray for Edith. We're also praying for Carl, who has some health issues as well. We've been praying for Ron and Bertie's son, Todd, and this week there are gonna be extensive tests that are gonna take place and they're gonna decide whether it's worth continuing the chemo treatment or whether they're gonna stop. So this is a very important week for him. Emma is trending in the right direction and the parents are being prepared that over the next two to three weeks, she may be released and be able to come home. So that's good news. And we're praying for Roy Richards today as well, who's in the hospital. So let's, let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we appeal to the Prince of Peace to bring peace to our broken world. Where there are people today who are suffering, who are scared, whose lives are being taken. Father, today we pray for your protection and for your peace and for your strength. Lord, bring change in our world, we pray. Lord, today we lift up Edith before you and we ask for your healing touch upon her body and also with Carl, for your healing with him. Would you touch him and strengthen him today? Father, we pray for Todd as he faces a, an uncertain week where there's a lot at stake. We pray today, Lord, that you would lead and guide those who are caring for him. We pray, God, for your healing in his life. We pray that there would be options and possibilities. We pray that you would restore him, strengthen him. We pray for his family today, for your peace and for your, your presence, your comfort to them, God. Lead and guide them, I pray. Father, this morning, we thank you that Emma, at such a young age, has battled so much, has fought so diligently, that you have been so faithful to her. We pray that as the next few weeks unfold, that she'll just continue to improve more and more each and every day, that you would restore to her a healthy life, Lord. And Lord, for Roy today, we pray for your presence and your peace and your healing in his life. 
And Father, I pray for all of us as we sing words like amazing grace that they would not just glance off of us this morning, but we will be reminded today of how much your love and your grace has changed our lives and how much your love and your grace extends to those beyond the boundaries into the margins. Father, I pray that we'll always be the ones who swing the door wide open and invite all who are willing to come into the great banquet, be a part of your kingdom, to serve you and to know you as our Lord and Savior. Watch over and be with us this week, we pray. Protect us, lead us, guide us, accomplish your purposes through us, we ask in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. If you joined us online, we're glad that you're with us. If we can help in any way, please let us know. Have a great day and enjoy the sunshine. Apparently it's going to snow tomorrow. Welcome to Canada. God bless you.